Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. For the best independent coverage of the Portland Trailblazers, you will get anywhere. The podcast you can get, as always, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. We're on the Odyssey app, part of the Odyssey family. So go do all of that. Very, very, very excited about today's episode. We're we're going to kind of, we're recording this, on Thursday morning, so kind of a little over 24 hours before free agency starts. So I'm kind of staying away from that right now because anything I say about that is going to be dated and not have that much of a shelf life because a lot of stuff can happen pretty quickly. So we're going to kind of stay away from the free agency stuff and the Dame stuff for right now. But I'm very excited about this episode because I'm bringing back on a return guest, Mirren Fader, my friend who's a feature writer for The Ringer and the author of the Giannis uh, book that's a New York Times bestseller. I had her on a few months ago when she did a profile of Greg Oden, and I wanted to get her back on because the Blazers drafted, obviously, Scoot Henderson with the number three overall pick, and she wrote back in December one of the first major profiles of Scoot when he was still with the G League Ignite. And as with everything she writes, and I'll include the link to her story in the show notes and the YouTube links and the, the post on the website and all of that, but so you can all, all go read it if you haven't uh, read it yet, but you should, because she you know has a lot of insight into kind of Scoot's upbringing and his background and his personality and the things about him that make it likely that he's going to be great in the NBA. And she, you know, gets into a lot of that stuff in depth with me about, you know, what she saw getting to know him and, you know, what she thinks about kind of how he's going to translate to the NBA. And it's a really fun conversation. I think if you want to break from, you know, how exhausting the Dame stuff is and the trade rumors and all of that, and you just want to get excited about Scoot, I think this is an episode that you're going to really enjoy. So let's get into that. How are you doing, Mirren? I'm good. I'm good. I'm hanging in there. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm I'm, you know, it's been a kind of a crazy couple of weeks on my beat, but, you know, the way I've kind of, I've kind of, you know, started looking at it, like the Dame stuff's out of my control. Whatever happens with that happens. I'm trying to dive more into Scoot and get to know Scoot, which is why I wanted to bring you on because you wrote a great profile of him back in December for The Ringer, which we're going to obviously link to in the show notes and stuff. But when did he first come onto your radar but did you did you know about him before that big you know game in las vegas against Wembenyama, or was that kind of when you first you know realized like this might be a story that's worth doing like the other top prospect besides Wemby? you know somebody on twitter randomly tagged me and said you should profile this guy like he seems really really you know um just levels ahead of other people in terms of like mentality and this person was like 
you know, he seems like somebody you would like to profile, you know, somebody who has that sort of humble spirit, that mm-hmm. human interest type of feature that you do. Um, and then it became clear. I was like, you know, so much attention is going to Wemby. And like, yes, I tried to get that profile as well. And I was like, you know what? Scoot's interesting. Like just for his name alone, like I want to pursue this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's actually probably a smart move on your part because, you know, every you're, you're going to even if even if you had gotten the Wemby, you know, if, if they had said, yeah, you can get an interview with Wemby, everybody else that was at that Las Vegas game or whatever is getting a is trying to do a Wemby story. And so even if yours is going to be great, which yours is because everything that you write is great, but you were well, yours wouldn't have been the only one like everybody like I remember like around the time of that game everybody was doing a Wemby story and yours was like one of the only ones about Scoot where it was like hey this other kid like may not actually be the number one pick because Wemby's gonna be the number one pick but like this guy might be just as you know good or impactful or you know as much of a you know a, a, of a story so you kind of you kind of you kind of actually were able to corner the market there it was actually pretty smart. Well I appreciate that I mean it's it's interesting it was like unintentional the way that I've tended to profile younger players before they, you know, have their moment in the NBA. But I just find it so interesting. I think the most interesting time to profile somebody is like either right at the beginning or right at the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, starting with Lamella Ball, like that really taught me a lesson of just there's so many themes that, you know, are interesting before somebody gets their name called at the draft. So I, I really do enjoy it. Well, the Lamello thing, that's actually kind of an interesting parallel to this scoot story because they're both guys and obviously like Lamelo has his whole that was a whole other thing where like his dad took him and his brother to lithuania and like that you know was, <laughs> was, a, was a whole thing and he was like trying to start his clothing brand or you know all, all that stuff but yeah they both you know whether it was you know Lamelo going to lithuania and then playing in australia where you also went to profile him for a second time or scoot you know working around the clock to graduate high school in three years so he could sign a two-year deal with the G League Ignite. Both of them kind of took these unconventional routes and weren't just, you know, I'm going to go to college for a year and then, you know, go to the NBA. And they both kind of, you know, took these sort of different routes, which, you know, it's been very hit and miss whether that kind of stuff works or not. I mean, it's worked out pretty well for Lamelo because, you know, he's had a pretty good NBA career so far. And it seems like Scoot is completely set up for, you know, everything Everything is there and everything is in place for him to also be really successful. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the Lamello thing was interesting because at the time people thought it was this crazy idea. Um, but then you started to see more and more alternate routes. And, you know, I am of the person that believes like when something is different and something is unique, you should gravitate towards it instead of feeling, you know, uncomfortable and questioning whether it will work. Clearly, like these things are here to stay. So um, it gave me such an education on, you know, hey, I think alternative paths are more of the norm. And I think that honestly, to your first question is really what made me interested in Scoot, because at that time, you know, people forget about that entire narrative. It was so unique for him to leave high school and do this like that. The alternative path was his quote storyline. You know, now the storyline is like, oh, second to, you know, Wemby and all this stuff. And will he work with Dame? But really, the original thing was like, does this guy really think that he can do this? You know, he got an offer from China at age 15. What's going on? Like, is he really that good? Um, But I think, you know, he 
people also forget that he made this choice prior to NIL legislation. So he was very much ahead of his time. You know, those options were not on the table um, when he was making that decision. It happened like literally right after, like I would say like a month later or so. So you, you think he might have like if, if the NIL stuff had been what it is now when he was in high school, you think he might have like decided to just go to college instead? I don't know if I would take the leap and say he would have done that, but I think, and and the reason why I say that is because he had sisters that did play in college and they taught him how, you know, you really don't have a lot of autonomy when you're playing division one ball. Your life is really, you know, just what they tell you to do and you're more of a body than a human being. So I think even if they had NIL, he still had that sort of education in the back of his mind. Um, but certainly I think it could have added to the conversation. I mean, that absolutely is a factor and you know any prospect has to consider that yeah i mean his his sisters are very 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 important to him and mm -hmm. very you know a big influence on him i remember uh this was maybe like a month ago or a little less at this point when the blazers were going through their pre-draft workout process and they brought him in for a solo workout and they invited us out to the practice facility uh to, and we got to, you know, do little, you know, interviews with all the different prospects that they brought in. And so for Scoot's interview, he was talking about one of his sisters. Uh, and it was like, she's the goat. She's the, she's the Marietta goat of like, like he was just, he's quick to bring up his sisters and bring up his family as like, this is who was influential on me. This is who, you know, you know, pushed me. This is who helped me. And, and a lot of that is covered in the story that you wrote on the ringer just of just like how much, you know, his, his you know, growing up watching his sisters play basketball was, you know, something that made him want to pursue it and how, you know, his dad would like light into him when he made a mistake on the court when he was in like sixth grade, but then also like went out of his way to make sure that he knew that like he loved him and supported him. So it's yeah. a pretty interesting family dynamic there. Yeah. And I think the family dynamic to me helps explain why he is so poised as a young person, why he's able to, you know, hold his ground, why he just with older people, why he just seems older than he is and has that maturity. It's because his sisters were like so much older than him. The age gap is real. They were so much better than him. I mean, they would just like back him down in the post and he was so like, <laughs> frail and, like he didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, I think like when you are just when you have a big family like that and there's always a sibling to play with that you don't you don't feel entitled you don't feel special because there's just so many of you and i think he really um he learned humility from going against them and his dad was really really hard on him and i think he had that kind of like pro coaching or mm -hmm. whatever from a young age. And so that's why he always played up. That's why physically he looks so NBA ready. Um, and he did as a young person, just because he started so much earlier than a lot of kids. It's really incredible seeing him up close. Cause he's, he's only six two, So he's not that big for a, a point guard, but you know, we stood right next to him when he came into Portland for his workout. He is built. You know what he's I'm saying? A, That's what I mean. Yeah, he's built like a linebacker, but yeah, he's a point he guard. Develop, yeah, exactly. Like I and I want to. That's what I was referring to. Is like, yeah, he, he looks like he has that regimen. And it's interesting because you know, as you you know, detail also in the story, 
the originally the sport that he wanted to play was football and i i, I saw another you know because i've been reading and watching all kinds of scoot stuff since they drafted him to try to kind of get a feel for his personality and his game and stuff and there was another interview that he did i forget which one it was but he did an, another a podcast that he was on like a couple months ago where he was talking about how originally he thought he was going to go play football at the university of oregon and then play for the 49ers and then you know as you kind of point out in the story too like ninth grade or like high school was when he kind of decided like okay football is maybe not the sport I want to focus on basketball is the one that I really love and that I want to take seriously do you have any insight into when and how and why he decided that basketball was the thing to do because a funny thing in your in the story was in I I think it was like fifth grade or something when he was first starting to play basketball and you said he hated it like when did he first when did he first grow to love it and then how did that then go from if you know this like I mean I'm sure I'll ask him this when I started actually talking to him and getting to know him but I was wondering if you were able to can I kind of glean when that transition was from like oh I hate this I don't like this to oh I actually love this and I want to devote my whole life to this Yes, and I would also add just that tennis was in the mix too. And yeah, you like, have that in the story. Yeah, and so I was like, whoa, you know. Um, I love the fact that he hated basketball at first. And um, it's so funny because you contrast that with football. He would be in his like football uniform ready at like 6 a.m. and he would just be waiting on the stairs and doing his like, you know, cheers. Like he was so amped up even uh-huh. before he had his cereal. So to get a sense of just like where basketball was on the hierarchy early on. Um, but I think it was those games against his sisters. I think he's so competitive that he didn't like losing to them. And I think that that encouraged him to keep coming back. And the more he got better and he could hold his own and do better, I think he started to love it more. Um, and I think his dad could see the potential that he had. And I think Scoot, instead of being discouraged by getting yelled at, I think it just made him fall in love with it further. So I think like maybe like mid to late middle school is when basketball became like the focus and the thing that he could see himself doing. Um, And to be honest, I think it was also that offer from China, which was like the first pro opportunity that came at like 15. And I think that solidified in his mind, like, oh, there's a future for me in this sport. Like I could really take this somewhere. So the China offer was, it wasn't one of those like, you know, high school kids when they're like a freshman or a sophomore, if they're really good, we'll get an offer from a college that's, hey, when you graduate, you know, that you commit to this. It was, you're 15, we want you to come play in China right now. Yeah, it was a Chinese team. Yeah, and he was like, oh yeah, of course, like I'm gonna go. Like in his mind. <laughs> and then without, without thinking about it, he was like, oh, this, this professional team wants me. I don't care where in the world it is, let's go to. And then his parents were like, hey, wait a minute, maybe, maybe you should actually think before you make this life-changing decision. Well, exactly. And like, I think that speaks so much to his competitiveness and, you know, how much he had like really fallen in love with basketball because to him, he was like, no brainer. Duh. I want to go play basketball at the highest level. This is way, you know, higher level than, you know, any of my peers right here in my class, um, in my neighborhood, in my school, in my state. Um, And his parents were like, you're really young. You know, you have to like actually live there you won't be able to see us, your friends, all these things. So to me, I just think it just shows like he's just, his mindset was so much farther than other people. Like if you told me at 15, there would be a writer's residency somewhere. Uh-huh. I would, I, my first reaction would not be like, great, let me go pack up my life in whatever country. 
And but I just think that his willingness to do that, it just it shows the confidence, it shows the ambition, the drive. Um, and he just he just naturally had that. Well, but at the same time, you can probably relate to, you know, whether it's, you know, something related to like what you want to do for your career or just some idea that a friend of yours has like, hey, let's go do this. And then you take it to your parents and you're like, hey, my friend suggested we do this. Let's go do like, I think this is what we're going to do. And your parents have to just be like, whoa, okay, sit down, think about this for a second. (laughs) There's this great line that there's this great quote that you have in the story from Jason Hart, who is his coach at the G League Ignite, where he says, he has a phobia about his game, meaning he's in constant fear that he won't live up to his own expectations. He acts as though he's not going to make JV and not like a young star who just signed a multi-year deal with Puma. That's such a good, that, that, that phobia line, that's such a good way of putting it that I've never really heard before. Yeah, I, I really, I'm glad you pointed that out because I really love that quote. And that's why when everyone's talking about, you know, scoot and his physicality like what part of his game that they like to me the thing that stands out to him is the mental side of things Uh and i think that people always think that people are driven to win or they're driven to be the best and be great and all these things which is true for him too but i think there's a part of him that's driven by like fear of failure and a lot of people that are really 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 great at what they do use fear as a motivator um and it's not to say you're not confident it's not that at all it's it's just that you're so raw and real with yourself you want it so badly you're so afraid of not being the player that you think you are in your head and that's why i just think he's gonna be so good because when you have that mentality you're not fully yourself you're not drinking your own kool-aid right and um it's just a it's just a very mature mindset and it's it's real like he said to me he's like i love watching myself mess up mm-hmm. like that's a re- like that's not just saying that he's like no i i I search for those clips. I watch it. I study it. I, you know, he's, he's just constantly watching himself not perform to what he thinks he can be. And I think that that's really what makes him so special. Have you, have you seen the Mike Schmitz uh, film session? I did not watch that. So Mike Schmitz, who now is in the Blazers front office, but was the uh, ESPN draft analyst for a long time. uh, Yeah. He used to, back when he was still on ESPN, he used to do these things where he would sit down with a prospect and watch clips of them and they would talk through his, you know, their film sessions. He did one with the twins also, who you, who you, yeah, no, I've seen it. And I sat next to Mike in Lithuania, which is the most hilarious thing. He was, yeah, Mike's awesome. Mike's great. But like, but, but, uh, he, like, I watched, like, after they drafted Scoot, I went and watched the one that he did with Scoot. It's literally, like, 20 minutes of them going over his clips. And he showed one of, like, Scoot blowing a defensive rotation or something, and Scoot immediately was able to be like, yes, I should have been here. I messed this up. This is exactly, like, the stuff that my coach has been having me work on to get better at this specific thing that you showed me messing. Like, it seems like, you know, for a 19-year-old, like, I'm always blown away by, like, you know, the the longer I do this and the older that I get, because, like, I get older. These kids coming into the league stay the same age. And yeah. so you kind of can and you can kind of, uh, you know, gauge, like, okay, this kid is, like, really self-aware. This guy, you know, knows what he has to do to be great. With Scoot, I'm just – I haven't even really started getting to know him on a personal level yet, but you're already just blown away by the amount of self-awareness that he has and the amount of, like, 
no knowledge of like how much work it's going to take for him to get, you know, be as great as he wants to be. Well, and not just those qualities, but about defense. There's so uh-huh. many people his age that don't even think about defense. Like it's just, it's not, you know, it's the age old day. Oh, he'll figure it out. Like he'll learn, but mm-hmm. Scoot, Scoot's already thinking about defense. I mean, I was there for like the film session with the team where coach Hart was like basically saying like, you should have been there. And so, he, you know, Scoot, for whatever people want to say about the G League, whether they think it's a good path or not, like Scoot was very complimentary of how he learned a lot while being there. And I think particular attention was paid to his defense. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's not just that he's, you know, picking apart his weaknesses. I think it's that he's studying both ends of the floor, which also like really separates young people. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's talked before in some other interview. Of, it wasn't in yours, but it was some other interview of his that I read where he talked about, like, he's studying Drew Holiday for how to be a good defensive yeah. guard. It's like, okay, 19-year-old kid talking about studying Drew Holiday's defense. Like, that's right. that's a good sign that even even if he, you know, physically is never able to get, you know, that good at defense, the fact that he's that age and he's already talking about, like, this is what I want to study, this is what I want to focus on. Like, right. the mental right. stuff is such a big part let me ask you this you this was not the first time you had done anything with a G League Ignite prospect because you did one on you did a story on Jalen Green a couple of years ago yeah also came out of the G League Ignite and was a number two pick to Houston what are some of the differences because you you know I'm I'm assuming and I mean maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong because that Jalen Green story I think came out while COVID was still kind of going on so maybe you didn't have as much in-person access back then as you would have now so you know you can correct me if i'm wrong about that but like what are some of the differences in the program and like how their whole operation is that you saw from back a couple years ago when you did the jalen green story to when you were around the team now to do the scoot story well the it didn't i think the jalen story was actually even before he went to the g league because i remember going to fresno Mm -hmm. to spend time with him at his high school so it was before you know he joined the ignite so um just a little caveat there um but it's grown tremendous i i did profile another ignite guy principal singh the player from india oh yeah who played on ignite who actually the same year as Jalen. Um, and I think it's come a long way, but as you can see in my scoop profile, the, the opening scene is them being locked outside of a high school gym. Yeah. <laughs> it's not this like glamorous path where the red carpet's laid out for you. I mean, Las Vegas is so spread out. It's very hard to get access to gyms. Um, you know, the G league really struggles with that, especially in Vegas. I mean, Scoot had to warm up by just dribbling in the parking lot. So, you know, I think Ignite has come a very long way from like, you know, the Jalen year, the principal year, but it's still obviously got a a long way to go in terms of, you know, amenities and stuff. But the arena is really cool. I mean, it's an NBA experience. Um, I I think that Scoot um, and people like Jalen have brought a lot of attention to the G League as far as like, hey, if you are a top prospect, this can work for you. Um, but it's kind of the way that I feel about, say, the Thompson Twins at Overtime Elite that I yeah. profiled them as well. Mm-hmm. The program can work or not work, but it it's really about you and how good you are and how 
willing to work you are. And I think that those players just had those intangibles. So whatever deficiencies there are with these upstart leagues, it kind of like doesn't really matter because the talent and the work ethic is so there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think all of them are so new. All of them are still trying to figure out how to run themselves, essentially. I mean, it's, it's like all the startup culture we see in tech, we're like seeing it in basketball now. Yeah, and the the G League one is a little bit. I mean, the 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 uh, the overtime elite one is a little like I I know a little bit less about that one, but you know I I read your story about the twins and that was the, the they the Blazers brought both of them in for workouts and so I was you know doing some research on them before the draft. I'm you know very impressed by both of them also. So, but I know a little bit less about the overtime thing. Whereas at least with the G League ignite, at least like the G League is like an accept you know you know, an established thing. It's funded by the NBA. It has the NBA infrastructure. There are NBA players, like uh, a player that, you know, is one of Scoot's, you know, close mentors is Pooh Jetter, who has been a, you know, longtime G League player, international player. The Blazers actually just hired him as the assistant GM of their G League team that they just launched uh, earlier this week. But you're playing against grown men and you're playing against people who actually have NBA experience and you have NBA caliber trainers and you have, you know, NBA caliber, you know, like you said, the, their arena is an NBA experience. So, like, you get a little bit more real, you know, experience and, you know, an idea of what the NBA level is going to look like there than maybe you would in college or, you know, in something like Overtime Elite that doesn't have that type of infrastructure. I mean, it's really intense. Like, essentially, all 10 people on the floor are all fighting for their lives. And so, and all 10 people, like, need to score 20 points a game. I mean, not literally, but like, that's, you know, it's, it's very, very competitive. And, you know, you look on Twitter, and people are just really like, stupid and like just comment oh this, uh, <laughs> that, that could be true about literally any topic <laughs> what you just said I know, but you know how people are like that guy's a bum that guy sucks they have no idea that the right. person they think is the worst person on an nba roster or the worst person on a 10 day with the g league or whatever that player has beat out thousands and thousands and thousands of people and mm. so this idea that Scoot was just going against subpar players, it's its really just not true. Like, those guys actually have more incentive to play hard than the average NBA player um, because their lives are not guaranteed. I mean, the intensity level is real, and they are older, and they're better, and they're smarter, and they have something to lose. So I, I just think that is really, really a competitive level. Well, we just saw the Heat make the finals and like the big graphic that ESPN put on every single one of their games was yeah. they have seven undrafted players. Like, yeah, all those undrafted dudes like Max Struess and uh, Gabe Vincent and whoever, like those guys all played in the G League. Those guys all came up this way and those guys are all, you know, contributors know. on a team that made the finals. Like the talent level just across the board is so much higher now than it was 10 years ago. Derek White, like another guy profile. Um, You know, like it's it's just really it's intense. Even somebody like Austin Reeves, like you talk about like yeah, you know, going undrafted or whatever. Like there's so much talent. Um, and that's why I just think like the mental side is really what separates people, right? Like it's it's that okay, we're going to practice again at this little dinky gym in the middle of nowhere fighting for my dream. How can I make it? Like the guys that stick 
you know, the people like Pooh, like you mentioned, like they, they have that. Totally. Um, how do you think, I mean, it's so, it's so interesting because, you know, one of the, th one of the things in the story that you kind of hit on a lot was, you know, his leadership and, you know, mm -hmm. that, that aspect of kind of his personality and, you know, what he brings as a player. And it's so, I'm so fascinated by, a kid, I mean, especially like, like now he's 19 and now he's, you know, had a couple of years in the G League, but he first comes in having graduated from high school in three years. He's this 17 year old kid who comes in. And like I said, like, like we talked about, he's, you know, got grown men on his team who have been pros for 10 years or more. And this kid who's making more money than any of them because he just signed this big, you know, you know two-year, $1 million deal, and he has this Puma deal. So he's making, this kid that comes in is making more money than any of these guys. And he's trying to say, like, oh, I'm the leader. I'm trying to, you know, I'm that that's something I want to assert. I know, like, Scoot's personality is, like, not super domineering and is, you know, very humble. And so that probably made it easier for people to accept. But I'm so interested in that dynamic of, like, a kid coming in that young trying to do that and how people much, much, much older than him in some cases react to that. Well, it's not stepping on toes. It's not getting in there and being like, hey, my, I'm the next whatever. He's just not like that at all. But it's little things like he is a kid. He likes Rice Krispies and stuff. He has <laughs> his house and he you know they get all these snacks and he shares it and they you know his house is known as like the snack house and like his teammates enjoy being around it's like little things like that um the other thing is like you know he's had his welcome to the you know pro ranks moments like missing your flight at yeah, 5 a.m i like uh, that anecdote in the story it was one of my favorite anecdotes in the piece you know he's like so nervous about not waking up and he stays up all night and he's sitting in his chair and he's like not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to miss my flight. And then he misses his flight. So I think, honestly, part of being a leader is showing your weakness and saying, mm -hmm. hey, I, I fucked up too. And I think they just saw that like, okay, he he's he is young, but he is so talented and so earnest. He felt so bad about missing the flight that like they have no choice but to respect the humility that he brings right. and he tries to do better. And, you know, he never missed a flight ever again. Never did anything. Right. And, and I even a situation like that, you think he's like, he's not coming in like, oh, I'm this kid that just signed this million dollar deal. I don't need to show up on time for the flight. He actually was trying to stay up for the flight and he, and he fell and he crashed. Exactly. Like, and I think it's also like a leader is somebody who's like really comfortable in their own skin. And like the way Scoot moves around, like he's so funny, like he'll just start dancing out of nowhere. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I think they just like his authenticity. And then they see what a bookworm he is like that, as you know, like, I love books. Um, that was one of my favorite parts about um, the piece is that his nose is always in a book. So I think his teammates saw like, hey, this guy's funny. Yes, he's really a kid. Like I said, Rice Krispies, all that. But he's, such, he's a very serious person. He's in yeah. his room, like with a book. So I just think people respect that he is so introverted too. What kind of books does he read? Because you you talk a lot about this one book, The Purple Cow, which is like a business, you know, type, you know, self-help book that was a big influence on him. Do you know like what, like, I'm assuming this is something you bonded with him over because you're obviously a huge yes. book person also, but like what, what other, what, like what type of books does he read? Yeah, it is a lot of similar books like self-help, like, um, you know, ones that are more well-known, like Seven Agreements, stuff like that. Sure. Um, 
but it but he's very business minded like he like a lot of young players coming up like they they definitely um are thinking about business and money and the economy beyond this moment so he he reads a lot of like business stuff um mm-hmm. in addition to like self-help stuff um and it, and he sort of approaches reading like not necessarily like the way that i do for like you know pleasure or sure. like escapism he's like mining the pages for information he he's like a like he wants to learn as much about how he can like get better or do this or have this asset or do that so i think he's he's more of like a reader for information it's it's like another edge but the other thing is like and this is what i mean by the g league is a really good experience he he was reading because he was alone so much and that's a part of the pro experience that people don't realize which is like you can't be on the court like a million hours a day you're most of your time outside of the team is like literally by yourself and so he was bored like he had to do something and so he started like really getting into reading you know who i'm gonna make a prediction right now you know who his best friend on the blazers is gonna be who matisse theibel do you know do you know matisse theibel at all have you ever well i was supposed to profile him um and it just like never happened um but yeah i could see that matisse is the biggest one of the biggest readers that i've ever yeah encountered in the nba he got traded here from philadelphia uh halfway into the season at the trade deadline and every single time i'm in the locker room he has a different book in his locker and he was like giving players books and it's all different genres like some of it is like the business self-help type of stuff but like he reads novels he reads poetry he reads like biographies i remember one you know one one team staffer not even a player like a team staffer i forget who it was but it was a team staffer was telling me that you know he was asking them like what their major was in college and it was like history. And so he got that person like a book about world war two or something like he was, I could, so if, if Scoot is this big reader, I can just see him and Matisse just like taking to each other. Like, I love like that. that. Yeah. We have to talk about the Dame stuff. It's in your story that back in 2021, he reached out to Dame just asking for advice yeah. And Dame got back to him. <laughs> I know that Dame was at his workout in Portland last summer, or not last summer, like last month. Sorry, I can't talk right now, but like last month. There's a lot going on. There's uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that they have been in touch during the whole pre-draft process. Obviously, there's kind of a lot going on with Dame right now and will continue to be so for at least the next couple weeks in one direction or, or the other. Do you think that they can actually play together on the court. I have no idea, but let's (laughs) let's get back. I think um, it was really funny because uh, when I was there, he received the the day of the interview, he had received the DM the night before from from Dame. Dame. So it was like very fresh. And this was like a very exciting moment for Scoot. And like, he showed me the DM and it, to, to give you an example of the type of like respect that he has for Dame and the humility, you know, I think I forgot the exact wording it's in the story, but the, he used both names like, yo, Damian Lillard, my name is Scoot Henderson. Like instead of just being like, yeah, my name is Scoot. Like I'm, you know, as if you should know who I am. He, you know, he was like Scoot Henderson. Here's my name. And he was like, can you, and it, and what I respect is that he wasn't just like, Hey, what's up? Like what are, he asked a specific question about, 
letting go of misses and, you know, when your shot isn't falling and it's being imperfect, right? Mm -hmm. Because food is preoccupied, like we said, with fear of failure and all of these things. So I just thought that was so interesting that he came with a specific thing. It's kind of like, you know, when I remember being coming up and I would reach out to different writers and you can't just be like, Hey, I love your work. You have to like ask us what's some, just what's some advice. And and it's like, there's so, I mean, I get those, I get those emails too. And I'm sure you do. And like, there's so many different, like if somebody says, Hey, Hey, do you have some advice for getting into the business? Like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? There's so many different directions. But if you have like, Hey, what is this specific thing that like, not only does that, not only does that like show and I mean, this is just, you know, advice for anybody reaching out to anybody in the field, whatever field they want to get into. If you ask them a specific thing yeah. that they are good at that you want to know more about, that's going to make that person feel like he isn't just like that. That probably made Dame feel like this kid isn't just sending this DM to like every different NBA player that he follows. He's he actually specifically sent this to me for a specific reason and actually wants this answer from me specifically. And that's going to make somebody more likely to respond and you know respect you. Literally, exactly. And um, it's not just, hey, can I pick your brain, which like, yeah. tells every time. Um, I hate that phrase. <laughs> no, I hate, stop, nobody pick my brain anymore. I don't have it. <laughs> um, but I think, um, I think it's exactly what you just said. And that's why I think Scoot is so intelligent and he's so introspective and he's a studier. And I think that the, the exact question that he asked Dame was so interesting because yes, I see that when I see Dame, like you see this confidence, but you know that Dame is also human. And so for every Dame time moment, there were also moments I'm sure where he wasn't as confident or wasn't in his flow. So I just love that Scoot like made that relationship. And when Scoot was showing me the DM, he was just so geeked. It was just, and this is what I mean by like, I love profiling young guys at this stage because they're so excited and they're so green. There's no sense of being jaded. He was like, look, he messaged me last night. He responded to my message. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's like, it, again, it's like, it's like imagine yourself like reaching out to your favorite writer. You right. know, it, was, it was like me when like Wright Thompson emailed me back like after my little And week. you're just like, oh my God, Wright Thompson knows I exist. Literally, my, Wright Thompson read my email. Like, it doesn't even matter what, what he says or if he can like help get you a job or whatever. It's like, he, he knows I exist. He knows who yeah. I am. Exactly. And so I look at, you know, Scoot being as highly touted as he is and to have that very like refreshing humility, I found so endearing. Uh-huh. And I mean, Scoot, I think is a little bit, just, just in what little I've gotten to be around him since the, you know, the draft happened and, and all that. He's a little bit more of like a brash, like loud personality than Dame is, but their mental approach and just kind of their attitude towards life and towards work and towards all this stuff, it strikes me as very similar. It, it's really interesting because like, I think back to the, you know, I, I forgot when this was, but do you remember when like Dame was talking about how like, this is not pressure, you know, this mm-hmm. is just basketball, like pressure. And he was talking about real life pressures. I forgot. Was this was on a- the, was, maybe he was on the JJ Raddick one. This was like a couple years ago. It was like such an, it was kind of, it wasn't as like viral as like the Giannis quote on right. failure. But no, it but was- I mean, Dame, Dame says stuff like that all the time. So I, 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 I'm sure I, I'm sure I've heard exactly the one that you're talking about, but yeah, yeah. I know what yeah. you're talking about. It was years, it was years ago and it was so profound. And he was saying that like, you know, this is just ball, like this is not pressure. And I think Scoot is exactly the same way in that he views this game as like entertainment and uh-huh. it's, it's not pressure because it's just fun. And so it's like, you know, yes, official NBA game, very serious. But it's also like 
this is the game that my sisters were backing me up in the post X years ago, you know, like this. And I think he he approaches it like that. Like the one thing that I really liked, and I think Dame obviously has this as well, is that, you know, Scoot was saying how he was really moved by when Kobe said, you know, sometimes I'll have a game and I know that there's a kid or somebody who came to this game all the way to see me or they paid this amount and I can't let them down. I have to show out. Like, mm-hmm. and he's very conscious of that. And I think Scoot and Dame both have that sense of like realizing it's bigger than basketball. People really came to see me play. Like I have an obligation here. I have to show out. And then there's that like underdog mentality that Dame and Scoot have. You know, you know Dame's journey in. Right. He wasn't supposed to be this big superstar. Well, ironically, people don't even talk about that with Scoot. He was very under-recruited, quote-unquote. And I know you're saying, how can you be under-recruited when, you know, you had an offer at 15 from China? But really, like, at first... You go into, in in the story, you go into the colleges that he had offers from and it was like Auburn which is like not a small school but it's not like he was getting offers from like Duke and Kentucky and UCLA and all these just like big time programs exactly like he wasn't like oh my god Scoot Henderson is the next big thing and you know in our culture that like really valorizes the youngest as possible if you don't have like the big programs recruiting you by eighth grade people are almost looking at you like what's wrong with you and Mm. I, I think that you know Scoot Scoot had the benefit of having such a present family that reminded him that rankings aren't important and that, you know, development and getting better is important. So it's it's just, I think of that journey of that feeling like, you know, passed over or whatever that really him and Dame like both have that in their histories. So look, like I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but I think they're really two really thoughtful, interesting people that understand that while this game is so important there's so many things obviously outside that are important i think they're both like really stand up stand up guys i really hope dame sticks around for a lot of reasons but i also think he will be so good for scoot yeah i mean look if that dm imagine having that every day yeah Asking him questions like that every day how much better scoot could get because dame is just He's a genius. Like, how and Dame, cool and Dame, that- and Dame, like, really, Dame, really, the, the thing I've, I, obviously, I know Dame quite well because I've covered him for years. He really respects when somebody cares and puts in the work and wants to get better and wants to ask questions. This past, this past year, uh, you know, that there was that, that, you know, there's obviously that quote from his exit interviews where he's like, we, you know, we, I like Shade and Sharp, but like, that's enough 19 year old. But like, Shaden Sharp, like, I think when when the Blazers drafted Shaden Sharp last year, instead of trading that pick, Dame was like, I don't know about this. But then he got to know Shaden and was like, okay, this kid asks good questions. This kid listens. This kid wants to get better. This kid, you know, puts in the work. And he really came around to, you know, I like, you know, I like this. And I kind of think just based on the mentality that Scoot has and everything that you've told me about him and everything that I've read about him in your story and others and other interviews that I've watched— they are just so similar in personality that I think Scoot can learn a lot from Dame, and I think Dame has a lot to offer Scoot if it, it ends up going that way, whatever happens with free agency or trades or whatever else. Yeah, I agree. And it also reminded me of, like, our conversation about books and business. Like, Dame is very, like, business-oriented. Oh, yeah. And 
the fact that he has all this stuff going on outside of basketball with music and all these, you know, the shoes. Like, I, I just think I could imagine that Scoot's questions would cross over to like, okay, how do I be a successful businessman outside of this? The other thing also, and this is something that uh, Scoot mentioned in, because after the draft, he was in New York. We Blazers media, for the most part, was not. but So we did like a Zoom call with him from the draft that night. As far as like wanting to be a great point guard and wanting to learn, you know, how, you know, how to do that, who is the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers right now? Chauncey Billups. Yeah, that's, so, yeah, that's true. And he said, he said on the night of, you know, the draft, he's like, I'm going to pick Chauncey's brain. So I, again, I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. I just realized when I was saying what the quote <laughs> was that like he said the other that. night, but you, but I, we were just talking about it. He was like, I'm going to pick Chauncey's brain so much that he's going to get annoyed by me. He said that on draft night. Wait, is Scott Brooks still an assistant? He is, yeah. Okay, so I I interviewed Scott for my book on um, Hakeem Olajuwon because Scott was Scott's the best. He's so awesome, and he was um, he was a teammate on the championship team with Uh the Rockets in '94. Anyways, I bring up Scott because obviously, yes, Chauncey, like point guard, you could ask him a trillion questions. Uh Chauncey like destroyed my childhood with the Pistons. Like that's right. <laughs> so like I I've seen it uh, like very up close. Yeah. But I bring up Scott because Scott has such a wealth of information. He knows how to be a good teammate. He's so smart, um, and he learned a lot from Hakeem about um, what it takes to be a pro and how to give back and and just I don't know just being a consummate professional all mm-hmm. the time and play your role. And obviously he was, Scott was in a very different position than Scoot is in his career, like as a role player versus Scoot is sure. star. But I, I just think, I hope they get close because, mm-hmm. you know, Scott has a lot of, a wealth of information to share. So it's not just Chauncey in my eyes. No, totally. And Scott also, Scott Brooks, besides, you know, playing with Hakeem and being on those championship teams with Houston, as a coach, he coached Russell Westbrook Right. He I coached mean, John Wall that. in Washington. Exactly. Like, say he's coached the same type of like explosive athletic point guard that Scoot Henderson is. He's coached those guys before. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's exactly. Great point. Yeah. I just think there's there's a lot of people that Scoot can learn from, you know, I, and he's a learner. He's a studier. Mm-hmm. He's literally a listener. And, you know, um, I loved hearing about like Scoot's dad putting him in film sessions. Can you imagine like a child in film sessions? How old are we talking here? Like a baby, like, like he was at his sister's games and then they'd all be watching film. And so like uh-huh. he was at their film sessions from really, really young, like pre-middle school. So, you know, I just think he's, he has that attention span, that like focus, focusing is a skill, listening is a skill, dissecting is a skill. And I just, I can just see him watching film with these people and like being so intent. Yeah. How's the Hakeem book going? The last time I had you on here was when you wrote the <laughs> you wrote the you had written the Greg Oden story, and we had to talk around it because you know you had told me privately what the next book was, but you had not announced it publicly yet, so we couldn't yeah, actually talk right. about it. Now it's out there, so now I can actually ask you how's the how's it going? How's the how's the book coming? It's I'm in the I'm in the writing part. You know, it's a book is such a grind. I think it's it's right. just hard having like. A normal job and a book at the same time, which obviously is such a privilege and a blessing. So I'm just, I'm really trying to 
balance um, as best I can because I want to have all these features out at the same time. <laughs> I want to pursue the best stories. And at the same time, I know that like, okay, this this book is requiring so much of my mental space, my time, my effort. But it's been fascinating. I, I think, you know, when, when you and I were at Bleacher, yeah. um, there was like this rule that was spoken and unspoken that like you couldn't really profile an older person like there were no coach profiles like we weren't allowed to do coach profiles like I don't know if you remember that but it was I don't think you and I had the same set of editors and the same set of <laughs> that's true that's a whole other conversation we can probably have off air but, but I I wasn't a, you know we weren't allowed to profile coaches like that was just a no-no because they uh. were you know, BR is a younger audience. And so we don't want to hear about older people. So I would say for a lot of my career, and maybe this goes back to how our conversation originally started, I really didn't profile anyone, you know, above 35. Um, so it's been such a fascinating experience to, in a sense, profile over, you know, a hundred. 30,000 plus words, somebody who's so much older that has lived a life. And it's really made me want to do more of this work in my ringer stuff, you know, like coach, like Scott Brooks, like he would make a fantastic profile, you know, and, and part of it is that, you know, teams don't make coaches available. So that's kind of like, no. impossible. but um, anyway, this project has really made me just have such a different experience than my normal thing. And, you know, I was born in 91. So Hakeem got his first title when I was like three. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, it's been really fun for me to like study a different era. Like I said, Chauncey, Lakers, Pistons, Lakers, like that was my, you know, childhood. Like I went right. to Staples Center to, to go see one of those road games, quote, live. Um, so I was not around for this era of, of Hakeem Olajuwon. And it's been such an education for me, but also just such a pleasure to watch 90s highlights. I mean, it's so different than today. I love that's, it. That's like the perfect zone of like all that stuff was on TV. All that stuff exists. All that stuff is on YouTube. But right. it's not so recent that like you remember watching it at the time. So you're still like learning and discovering new stuff. It has to be a little bit different though, because the Giannis book... You wrote that book like while Giannis was like at his apex exactly. of like right when he right around like that book came out right around when he won the first exactly. title with the Bucks. So like he's in his prime right now. He's still very much like the guy right now. Whereas Hakeem was that guy almost 30 years ago at this point. And exactly. And and so now it's like a whole, you know, there's way more other people that like he's either played with. So it's like older people, younger, you know, younger people. Because also like there was that whole thing. I remember like 10 years ago. Every time there was like a center who was like being talked about, it was like, oh, Dwight Howard spent the summer working out on post moves with Hakeem Olajuwon or like Brooke Lopez worked out with him. Like that became, that was a thing for like five years in the NBA that like that was what every big man would do during the summer was go work with Hakeem. Exactly. And that's why I just feel like he's the forgotten pioneer. He's the, he's just the most underrated superstar, you know, of his generation. And, and he's worthy and deserving of, you know, a treatment like this. And it, it has been really interesting to see. I thought it would be easier than the Giannis book because much time has passed. He's, you know, older, um, you know, but, but there's also 
other challenges of memory, right? Like mm-hmm. memory is a tricky thing in the moment and beyond. How somebody remembers something 40 years ago right. is not necessarily the same as what happened 40 years ago. And I think with somebody like him, you know, his nickname, Hakeem the Dream, mm-hmm. there is a real mythological storytelling aspect to this, much like Giannis, you know, the fairy tale of Giannis. Um, And so I I just think I find that really interesting. So I'm more, you know, embracing that challenge of, you know, just first of all, who's alive? Like Bill Fitch, his first going to say, yeah, not not here anymore. But um, it's it's been cool because I'm I'm somebody who likes school. Like I'm a studier. I'm a researcher. I, you know, before this, like in college, I helped my professor with her book on Toni Morrison. Like I was, I had the training of somebody that wants to get like a graduate degree. I was doing that sort of close reading research and all those skills are the same ones required for a project like this. That is way more archival, you know, like I'm reading through Houston Chronicle, 1981, 1982. You know, you got to love that, you know, research and be disciplined enough to like really sift through the history of this. Do we have a date yet for the book? It's so it's due this October and it's coming out 2024. Um, Don't have exact date when in 2024, but it is definitely slated for 2024. Okay, well, I'm I'm looking forward to that one because, like, I'm kind of I'm kind of like you. I obviously I'm well aware of Hakeem Olajuwon's yeah. legacy and all of that, but I don't know as much of like the detail, like, because like I've been around and doing this for Giannis's whole career, so right. Right. I I'm very familiar with like all the characters in the Giannis book and like the landscape of the NBA while, uh, you know, he was rising because it's like basically current, whereas. You and I are around the same age. I think I'm a couple years older than you are, but like you and I are around the same age. So we kind of grew up watching the NBA in kind of the same time. So it's like, like there, there's going to be a lot more stuff I don't know in this book than there was in the Giannis yes. book. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, I hope you like it. And I hope that theme of, you know, the world, what it really seeks to do is not just be a standard biography, but show that this current landscape that we're talking about, the Giannis, the international world that, you know, I talked about so much in the first book, it goes back to Hakeem. He's the pioneer that doesn't really get that credit. There were no international stars before him. Um, He helped, you know, be that catalyst. Um, It's, it's fascinating to think about. So um, I need all the writing gods, all the reporting gods to pray for me to get this draft in. Um, <laughs> but I, I look forward to. You've talk- already done it once. You <laughs> you've already done it once. You're going to do it again. Right. And it's going to be, you know, your other, your the, the Giannis book was a New York Times bestseller. This one's also going to be a New York Times bestseller. You should do Arvita Sabonis next, by the way. Oh, my God. Well, it's funny. I was thinking. People are like, what's your third one going to be on? I'm like, my third one? Let no, me- I know. I, I'm, I'm sure you get a million people suggest, but as you're talking about like, yes. you know, that, you know, the origins of like international stuff, but then also like something that has a connection between like the NBA of that back then versus now, because his kid is in the league now, like that, that would be a really fascinating one for somebody to do. If not, if not you, then somebody. It, no, it really would. Or even just like a normal profile. That's a really yeah. interesting idea for sure. Yeah. Well, I'll see, you said you're not going to be at Summer League. I'm not going to be at Summer okay, League. Okay, so I won't see you there, but I I, I got to get down to L.A. at some point soon. You got to get back down to L.A. Remember, the, what did we have in Vegas? Was It, it was this, like, giant milkshake. I'm Whole remembering. Scenes. 
oh my god it was like bigger than me right yeah. it was like <laughs> i mean it was that that was just that was so wild because like so we got dinner that one night and then the next because you were you were in town i i had just gotten in town for summer league this was 2019 so this was like yeah. right before this was like the, the summer before covid oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. you were you were in town doing the aces and yeah. it was like the one time that like our schedules lined up so we got dinner and then yeah. the next day you were over at the whatever the arena is that the aces play in for a uh for you know for an aces game because you were working on that story that same night i was over at summer league for the zion debut and there was an earthquake oh my god yes i was and you were texting me like freaking out because like you're from la so you deal with earthquakes all the time but you were still just like freaking out and i was just like I totally forgot about, I was like, I don't do this. I don't, like, I was. The There's arena. been a whole pandemic since then. It's easy to forget about it. Oh my God. The arena was shaking. And, and the crazy thing was like, I was traveling with the ACES. I was doing like an embed thing. And we had to fly to New York at like three in the morning to go play the Liberty. And I was like, okay, so basically I'm not going to sleep because I'm afraid if I go to sleep, there will be another earthquake and we will all die. And I remember like, <laughs> Sirit was there and she was like, Do you want to go hang out? And I was like, I'm not chancing it because of the totally, thing. So I yeah. stayed in my I just stayed in my room. <laughs> yeah. On some scoot, like, we gotta wake up, we gotta wake up, don't go to sleep. Yeah. Either when the either I need to get down to LA or when the Hakeem book comes out, you need yeah. to actually do a book tour and come For here. Sure. And For do, sure. do a signing at Powell's. Cause the the Giannis book came out like when COVID was still just like no. at the height of it. So you didn't actually get to do a real like book tour or do appearances robbed, or any of that. Robbed of that experience. Yeah. But uh, I look forward to a, a Powell's meetup. Gotta happen. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot for doing this. Thank you so much.